Hello and welcome to What The Bump. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse who oddly enough has no kids, yet a huge passion for informing and empowering women on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me every week as we dive in to all things prenatal, postnatal, birth, and so much more. So let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of What the Bump. Today, we're hearing our birth story from Summer about her successful VBAC after two cesarean sections. And also, a little bit towards the end, you might hear some yelling, some kids screaming and running around in the background. Summer is currently a mom of three with number four expected and on the way. So if you hear that, you know, just, just ignore it. Let's jump in. We're doing another birth story today. We have Summer Tannehill coming on the podcast to tell her birth story. So thank you for coming on the podcast today, Summer. Hi. So tell me just first off, how did you meet your partner? We actually were high school sweethearts. We met on the high school track team and we dated throughout high school and uh, we both went away to, I went away to college and um, so we broke up for a little while and he went away, moved out of state. And when I was finishing up college, he happened to get a job uh, in the city I was in. And so we met back up and hit it off. And we were engaged six months later and married the following year. So high school sweethearts. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. And how long were you guys married and you guys had your first um, baby? We got pregnant after six months of being married. Okay, awesome. So before we dive into your last birth, Tell us about your previous births. So my first birth, like I said, we got pregnant within six months. Um, it was actually our first time trying that we got pregnant. And uh, I I went with the same OB that my friends had used. And I just, I had a very textbook pregnancy. I never questioned anything. I was never sick. Um, I just kind of went with the flow with everything and assumed I would have an easy birth, just like my friends had. I was kind of one of the last ones to get pregnant. And so um, I became, when I was 39 uh, weeks and five days, my, I went to my doctor appointment that day and he said, no, your cervix isn't dilated at all. And it'll probably be a while. Well, I went home that day and my water broke. And so I, I didn't start any contractions or anything. It was just like, okay, let's, let's do this. I guess it's time. And at the um, birthing class, they had said it, one of the reasons to go straight to the hospital is if your water breaks. And so called my husband home from work. We packed our bags or they were pretty much packed and we ran to the hospital, checked in and the nurse there was not the most pleasant person, kind of one of those negative Nancy people. And she had said that, um, no, your water didn't break. Cause I'm not, she did like the amnio test, I think it was. And so I, I swore my water broke. I know I was a first time mom and first time moms go to the hospital 14 times before they're really in labor. But I, uh, I, I swore my water broke. It was like a, a full on gush. And so I had to wait there for a little bit. I was not having any contractions. She checked me. I uh, was only dilated two centimeters. And so uh, like it was like an hour later, she came back in and tested me again. And there was, um, there's fluid, amniotic fluid on the test paper. So they went ahead and um, checked me in. 
And so my doctor, I, I was seeing a practice with three different doctors and I met with all three doctors the whole time and any of the three could have been there to deliver me. But when I did check in, it, none of my three doctors were the ones there. It was, it was about six o'clock on a Friday night and it was, uh, yeah, so none of my three doctors were there. It was a totally different doctor I had never met. But, um, you know, I was assuming that all doctors know how to deliver a baby. It couldn't be that difficult. Uh, I went ahead when they admitted me. I knew I wanted to get an epidural. I was just basically doing what all my friends had done and told me about a hundred times. And I had in my mind that I was already a genius when it came to birthing because I'd been around so many people that had babies. And so uh, I, I knew I wanted the epidural. I told them that when I checked in, even though I wasn't having strong contractions, um, they said, well, let's go ahead and start you on Pitocin and try and get you dilated a little bit more and get your contractions a little bit more consistent. And so when they started the Pitocin, I, I was at like four centimeters. So I was progressing, um, but my contractions still were just, you know, they're very light. They weren't anything crazy. And so I, uh, they did the Pitocin. They told me that I was at four centimeters. They told me if you're going to get an epidural, you need to get it now because uh, the later you wait, you might not get one at all. And so I went ahead and got the epidural at four centimeters, even though I wasn't contracting difficultly. I didn't know that an epidural literally means you cannot get out of your bed. And so I was just going with the flow, uh, not asking questions. Um, around, I think it was like 10 o'clock um, p.m., they came in to check me and I was complete. I was fully dilated. And so um, they, I didn't feel anything, obviously with the epidural, I didn't know what what was going on. And so they're like, let's, let's start pushing, ready, set, go. So they called the OB in. She came in and it was almost like she would just woke up from a nap. Um, she was just kind of- <laughs> You probably did. Yeah, and so I was like, okay, um, yeah, I was excited about it because I obviously couldn't feel anything and I was just ready to pop out this baby, ready, set, go. And so um, I didn't know what pushing was supposed to feel like. I didn't know what was going on. They had to pick up my legs and stick them in the stirrups. And my husband came in the room because he had went out and got some coffee. And uh, I pushed for, it was about probably four or five rounds of pushing. It really wasn't a whole lot, maybe 30 minutes. And the exact words from the doctor said, yeah, your baby's not going to come out. And so I thought she meant like my baby was like gonna die or something. The way she said it, it was just so matter-of-factly and dry. Um, and so I was like, what do you mean my baby's not gonna come out? She said, well, um, it's stuck. We didn't know if it was a boy or girl. She said, it's stuck. Um, your pelvis is kind of too small. Um, the baby's too big, the head's too big. And um, you know, it's probably, you're, you're, you can either get a C-section now or be miserable for the next, you know, hour or two and, and do an emergency C-section when the heart rate goes down. And so I started crying because I, out of all of my genius, you know, thinking of birth, I didn't have a birth plan. I didn't think that that was necessary. I didn't really research anything birthy, but a C-section was the last thing that I had expected. And so, um, you know, I was crying, it was a mess. My mom was, came in and was like, okay, healthy baby is the goal. Let's just get it out. You know, don't cry, blah, 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 blah. You know, um, but you know, I was, I was more angry that it had ended up that way. Um, I never in my wildest dreams that I imagined I'd have a C-section, but um, 
they they came in to prep me and within an hour um, I was in the operating room and I just remember everyone in the operating room chatting away about the vacation listening to kind of rock music and this and that and I was just like well how did I get here you know how did I how did I get in this position and so um they pulled the baby out I didn't we didn't know like I said if it was a boy or girl and they they didn't even announce it they just pulled it out and were talking amongst each other and this and that and there was no emergency or anything and so I was like what is it a boy or a girl and so finally they're like oh boy and then they just kept going like it, it wasn't any type of special moment that I had imagined it to be um, I didn't uh, ask for skin on skin. I didn't know that that was something that we could ask for. I didn't ask for delayed cord clamping or anything. Um, I, I, the only thing I remember about it was that my, um, something about my uterus wasn't clotting, the blood wasn't clotting or something. So they had to give me a shot or uh, put something in my IV to help that happen. Um, but yeah, they, they brought our son over. We took one picture. He was born at 1.30 in the morning. They took him away. I re I was in recovery by myself, and um, yeah, it, it was just I didn't get to hold him or anything until the next day at like six thirty in the morning um, when they came in, and it was just I don't know. Looking back, I f I feel like it wasn't quite a necessary C-section. Um, I forgot to mention that when they did pull him out, um, they did say that he was um, impacted because he was posterior. So his, he was sunny side up and that's what caused him to be in a poor position to um, push him out. Um, but he was only six pounds, nine ounces. So that's what kind of like I was expecting a 10 pound baby for them to say that he was too big for me to push out or my pelvis was too small. But um, yeah, that was the first birth. Um, I don't want to say I suffered from postpartum depression because I, I know a lot of women that truly do go through it. But I, I did have um, the blues for quite a long time just because I didn't realize how painful the recovery was going to be for a C-section. And, um, I, you know, it's, it's one thing I feel like, well, I feel like nobody gets excited about a c-section but it's one thing if it's a medical reason and you're planning it for the last month or two of your pregnancy versus you know going in to push out a baby and them having to pull it out instead you know yeah well first of all i'm so sorry that that was your experience with your first baby because and granted like you know i wasn't there but from the sound of it like baby's heart rate wasn't dropping while you were pushing right not not yet at, le at least according to the doctor no it was fine um there was never any like it was it was 10 o'clock i started pushing probably 10 30 i stopped and it wasn't until he was born at 1 30 in the morning like the, my c-section no so it was very like nonchalant like okay let's slowly prep let's call the doctor let's call the anesthesiologist or this right. or that you know it, it was never a, a health concern yeah that definitely sounds like a more so like a physician preference because even though baby was sunny side up like you said, I mean, he was around six pounds and many just sunny, just cause he's sunny set up. Yeah. It's definitely harder to deliver vaginally, but you can still do it. It just definitely takes some extra time. 
Yeah. And I, I didn't even add like throughout the whole labor part, I never once got off my back. I never, um, I never tried to get on all fours. I never tried to walk around or labor in any other position. I was just, I, like I said, I was very set on this easy textbook pregnant or, you know, delivery where, okay, give me the epidural. Now we're going to do this. Okay. And even looking at my, I, I pulled my, um, operating notes from the hospital uh, when I got pregnant with number two and it said it was very like we will start Pitocin at this time patient is aware we will do this patient is aware which I know is medical talk and I understand that that's the way they have to word it but it was kind of like a slap in the face that I thought back and I was like yeah everything was more like okay we're gonna do this oh okay we're gonna do this now oh okay it was never like I, I felt like I never really advocated for myself or um, informed myself enough to be able to advocate for myself right yeah that totally makes sense so tell me about your second baby your second pregnancy and birth Okay, so number two, uh, my son was just turned one when we started trying for number two. Um, it took a couple months to get pregnant with her, and um, I had knew I had heard once a C-section, always a C-section. So I didn't want to go to that same practice just because I had kind of a bitter taste in my mouth. But um, I, I, I went with a different, like basically, I chose a doctor that was excellent in C-sections and I heard that he did the best C-sections and the best stitching up and scars you won't even know you have a scar yada 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 and so that was basically the plan uh, until and I had an easy pregnancy I did have morning sickness but that was it uh, I went to him and it he actually went on vacation uh, I planned my C-section date for August 16th I was due August 23rd and I planned my c-section date the week before and he went on vacation when I was 36 weeks pregnant and when he went on vacation I saw a different doctor it was the same practice but a different office and a different doctor within that it was like a satellite office and so I went to see him and he asked me about uh, why I didn't want to try for a VBAC. And so we started talking and I said, well, I didn't know that was even uh, possible that, uh, you know, I was never told that. He said, well, the hospital that your doctor, he only delivers at one hospital and they don't allow VBACs because they don't have a anesthesiologist there 24 seven. But he said, I also deliver at the other hospital down, you know, across town. And he said, I, I do feedbacks all the time. And, you know, I, that hospital supportive, you know, they, I, I'm supportive if you, if that's something you're interested in. And so I, I said, yes, yeah, well, I, 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 like I said, I had no idea that that was even a possibility. And so I, my due date, I, I switched doctors totally. I called the office and said, I want this doctor to take over my care. And I started basically just researching every little thing there was to know about VBACs and how to get one success successfully. And I started drinking the um, red raspberry leaf tea and I started taking all kinds of different potions and supplements. I don't know, whatever I saw on the internet, that's what I started doing and stretching and yoga and chiropractor care and everything. I joined the ICANN group for uh, our area. And so basically I, I was ready to do rock this VBAC 
and um, I got to 39 weeks and six days and I went oh no 39 weeks and uh, four days went to an appointment I was not even dilated one centimeter like he was offering to um, do a membrane sweep just to kind of try and get things going and I wasn't even dilated enough to get that um, going and so I went home and when I was when I got home my son came and kind of like jumped on me in the chair and when he jumped on me my water broke right then and I was so upset because I thought no it's happening again I didn't have contractions again I was just I was so angry and so this time I I did not go straight to the hospital I was adamant about taking my time and trying to get into labor before going into the hospital so that was like two o'clock, I think on a Friday, or no, um, I think it was like on a, or no, Sunday, it was like two o'clock on a Sunday because my husband was off work. And uh, I just, I took a shower. We took a marathon walk around the whole town. We just were going everywhere, no contractions, nothing. Um, and so that evening I went ahead and ate a big dinner, cheeseburger. <laughs> and uh, I said, let's go ahead and go to the hospital. I want to know if I'm dilated at all. And if I'm not, we can come home. And so I, uh, we got to the hospital, got um, into the room and it was the same nurse as with my son, the first one, the oh, negative yeah. one. And so I was like, no, 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 no. And so I politely asked for a different nurse, which she was changing shifts anyway. And so that, that wasn't a big deal, but, um, they checked me. I was still barely one centimeter dilated. So they just, um, they never pressured me to do anything that night. They just said, relax, try to get some sleep. Um, they didn't want me to leave because my water had broke, but, um, they just took my vitals, monitored the baby. They were very, very supportive of, um, my plan. And so, um, the next day, the my nurse was super awesome she was the mom of one of my good friends in high school and so she was kind of willing to try things like move me in different positions and um they did start me on a low dose of pitocin and i had read you know the risks and benefits of pitocin when you're trying to be back and so i with the pitocin i started getting consistent contractions about three minutes apart and so um i did that for a while they checked me and i was still two centimeters and this was after 24 hours of my water being broke and so um my doctor came in and he you know he was trying to be supportive but he said go he was like go ahead and stop the pitocin um get you know just try to relax and he he, he brought me a sandwich <laughs> which mm -hmm. i was so happy for because i was starving and so he said get some sleep again we'll try it again in the morning we'll try some more pitocin and see what we can do and so um, the next day, the third day that my water was broke, um, it had been broke, I think, for over 40 hours. It was like I would contract really well when the Pitocin was hooked up, but as soon as they would stop it, I, I wouldn't contract at all consistently. And I was still only three and a half centimeters dilated. Um, baby was not even engaged at all. And so um, it almost felt like it was up in my ribs still. And so the, um, they tried to get me in different positions. And finally, after my water had been broke, it was uh, over 48 hours, my doctor came to check me. 
he said that I was three centimeters and I just started crying because I was like, first it was three and a half centimeters. Now it's only three centimeters. Like what, why am I not dilating? He said, well, it kind of depends, you know, if a nurse checks you different, you know, different fingers feel different things. Yeah. So I was just very subjective. Yeah. I just, I was tired, you know, I, for three days I was kind of, I mean, I would sleep a little bit, but not really because I is still expecting the baby to come at any time. My doctor, he was a saint. He was driving across town to come to me since he wasn't usually at that hospital. And I I felt bad that he was having to go out of his way. I felt bad that my husband was sleeping in an uncomfortable chair. (laughs) And I was just kind of over it. I I was crying, like, why won't the baby come out? What's going on? And I finally just said, you know what, let's just do a C-section. It's I've, I've tried, I, this is on my terms. Um, I, I did have stipulations. I said, I want to, um, I want the skin on skin. I want to lay cord clamping. I want them to talk to me during the process. I want pictures taken. And so, um, it, it was a totally different experience, even though I was upset that I did have to have another C-section. Um, it was a lot more of uh, my decision and not just what I think was forced upon me and my nurse was awesome she took like a hundred different pictures of the whole process and we had a girl and she was seven pounds three ounces so not huge but what the doctor um uh, did say when he pulled her out was that she was kind of tangled in the cord and he said that probably when my water broke it didn't allow her to move around as much as she would have when I had that extra bubble or something like that. And so um, I don't know how long, I don't know if she ever would have come out. I'm not sure, but that it was a little bit more of an informed C-section, but it was still kind of embarrassing because I remember like kind of announcing to the world, like I'm going to have a V-back and yes, you can have a V-back after a C-section. Everyone was like, what are you doing? Just have another C-section. It's not that big of a deal. So it was kind of embarrassing with my tail between my legs, like, okay, no, I had to have another C-section. I feel like there's kind of this, I told you so, because I don't want to say that my parents weren't supportive because they were, um, but they were still like the medical side of it, where is it safe? And is it, you know, and I, so I kind of had to just let them, you know, let them know that I've done research as well. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it was sad, but at the same time, it wasn't as, as bad. I, I felt comfortable with it. And it was a lot better recovery as well, I think, because I was, I don't know. I just, I was, I was happy. I was happy. I had a girl. I was happy that I got to make the decision about it. And so my recovery was a lot easier for that one. Yeah. It definitely seems like even though they were both C-sections, your first and second, they were, like you said, completely different. I mean, the first one was not your choice. You weren't educated. You kind of didn't know about delayed cord clamping and skin to skin and all those different things. They almost chose the C-section for you. And this second time you advocated for yourself from the very start to firing your triage nurse all the way through to the very end. You knew exactly what you were doing and you were very educated, very informed. And it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like even though it was another C-section, it was a completely different experience. So I'm, I'm really happy that you got to have that different side of the C-section even. Yeah, it, it was it was kind of a little bit more empowering, I guess you would say. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so now tell us about your last birth. Okay, so we're originally from California, and that's where we lived um, for the first two babies. And even the before trying for a third one, 
I, I went to a, um, a totally different doctor that was considered like a high risk doctor and was known to do VBACs. And because uh, even my doctor that I had had that did my second C-section said that he wouldn't be comfortable with a VBAC after two C-sections, especially since I didn't dilate the second time. And so I researched and researched and researched and I called, I, I was adamant on having a VBAC. I just wanted that healing birth. Um, and so I called offices from Fresno, California up to San Francisco. San Francisco, Sacramento, basically all the big cities. And I was just trying to find a provider in the hospital that would even think about allowing me to try for a VBAC after two C-sections. And so that was around August, 2017. Um, my daughter had just turned one and we were ready to have another one, but I didn't even want to try to get pregnant until we found that support system. And so I ended up finding um, four different doctors within two different hospitals that said that they would consider it um, depending on my, you know, my pregnancy and my health. And the closest one was um, a little over two hours away. And I was okay with that. I was ready to go. I, I told my husband, let's start trying. Um, we, we can do this. We can stay in a hotel or do whatever we need to do. But I, I'll drive two hours to my appointments. And he thought I was crazy. <laughs> but um, I was ready to, to start trying. And so we tried for number three for months and months and months. And we just, I don't know what it was. We just couldn't get pregnant as easy as we did with the first two. And so um, it was... um, around January or February of the following year, we decided that we wanted to move from California to South Carolina. And so um, we just kind of said, now's not the time to get pregnant. Um, It hasn't worked out. Let's just put it on hold until after we move and then we can figure something out. And so, um, so that was like January, February. Um, We were planning to move in August, 2018. And so in um, July, a month before our big move, we found out that we were pregnant with number three. (laughs) And so um, that kind of put a little, I don't want to say hiccup in our plan, but what happened was we had gone on vacation to Barbados the month before and (laughs) number three came pretty easily, I guess. um, (laughs) It's when you're not trying, when you're on vacation, you're not thinking about it, you're relaxed and everything's like your, your body just allows it to happen. Then I swear. Yes. And so we kind of were like, what do we do now? Cause we, my husband got a new job. We were getting new insurance and, um, I had, I didn't know any doctors, you know, around us. And so we just took it step-by-step. We, um, we moved to Lancaster, South Carolina in August, 2018. And, um, I just, started kind of doing some research. I found a birth center, um, 90 is about it was natural beginnings. It was about 90 miles from us. And so I said, that's where I want to go. That's what I want to do. Well, I didn't realize that they don't do VBACs after two C-sections there. So I, um, I was started seeing Dr. Corsi who was in Statesville right there. And so I would drive 90 miles to my appointments and um, it was no big deal. Uh, I was, you know, ready to have my V back. And basically I, I still, I, I felt comfortable going to him, but I also feared that like what happens if we are in the hospital for a few days over there and no one can come see us and this and that. And so 
um, I joined the Charlotte ICANN group and I found recommendations for um, the practice that was, it was an hour away from us, um, Providence. I, I liked that they had OBs and midwives because to me, midwives were kind of my first birth, like midwives are kind of like hippie to me. I don't know what it was. I just, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anything about home births or midwives or anything like that. I just thought that everyone went to the hospital and had a baby and it was normal. And so um, I met with um, one of the midwives there and she said that we all decide as a practice if we're going to take on, you know, a VBAC after two C-sections um, patient. And so they, they all agreed on it. And so at that time, I was um, almost five months when I transferred because I was already, I think, four months when we ended up moving here. But um, I was five months. My first appointments went great. I decided I wanted to stick with the midwife. So I really started super researching. Like I thought I knew everything there was to know about VBACs, but I really didn't. I started reading books and listening to podcasts. And um, I found a chiropractor that was Webster certified and she is amazing. And she would um, adjust me and adjust my pelvis. I basically, I call it I, I, the dream team of birth. Is this person going to support me in, in my plan? For the ICANN page, I kept hearing that word and I started researching it and I thought, no, 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 you don't need a, a, a doula at your birth. Like, what is this, you know, hippie stuff? And I, I started seeing like the difference that they can make and all of the support they can provide at the birth. They had kind of a meet the doulas uh, evening and it was where you could go and meet all the different doulas and you kind of figure out if you want to go that route for birth. And my husband ended up working late that night. So I took my two crazy toddlers with me and we did this kind of meet and greet with all the different doulas. And one of them, uh, Aussie doula, Helen, she just kind of stuck out to me at that point. She was very like humored by my crazy kids and not scared of them. <laughs> and so I, I, I went home that night and I told my husband, because originally I said, we're not going to get a doula. Don't worry. I just want to go check it out, blah, 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 blah. And so we got, I got home that night and I said, okay, I, I know what I want for Christmas. I want a doula. And so he, um, he's, he, I said, he said, well, you know, he asked about how much it's going to cost. And I kind of gave him the lowdown that some doula a little bit more pricey. And so he said, you know what, get whatever one you want, because I want you to have the birth that you want and you can be successful. And he was just super supportive the whole time. And so um, we, we got Helen and she was um, amazing during the, um, my pregnancy, any questions I had, she would answer. And so um, I got to 39 weeks again. I was very against any type of interventions just because of my first two births. I didn't want Pitocin. I didn't want my water to break. Not that I could have helped it, but I, I really tried not to let it break somehow. And I didn't want an epidural. I didn't want anything. And so I got to 39 weeks and the midwife at that appointment talked me into getting checked because, and I, I was so nervous because I knew I would just be one centimeter um, but I wasn't, I was three centimeters and I was 75% effaced. It was kind of exciting because I never got that far, even just my second baby. Uh, I, you know, never got past three centimeters. And so she offered to do a membrane sweep then. And I said, no, because I didn't want any type of intervention. I was scared my water would break again. 
And so my parents had flew out to visit from California and they, they had already been there for a week and a half and they, their visit kind of slowly started getting to the end because I was almost 40 weeks. And so I, I kind of did felt, feel a little pressure to get things moving along. So on that Tuesday, I was uh, 30, I was like 39 and five or 39 and six. I went for a membrane sweep and I, I was ready for my water to break. I thought it would, but it didn't. And I still lasted a couple more days. So Thursday, it was March 7th, which was my due date. That's right. I had an appointment on my due date. Uh, it was my 40 week appointment. I went to the chiropractor first. I got adjusted. My mom went with me. I still hadn't felt any shame. And so I went ahead and scheduled my next appointment for the following week. My midwife did go ahead and do another membrane sweep and she checked me and I was four and a half centimeters. So I was excited about that. So I was happy that I had progressed even just a little bit. And so she, at that point, she sit, sat down with me and she said, okay, we have a couple of options. You could do A, do nothing, just go home and rest over the weekend, see what happens. B, um, we could do the, uh, mem keep, you know, just keep doing the membrane sweeps in hopes to trigger some contractions. Option C was go ahead and break my water. And uh, I, I, I had felt that my body was ready to go into labor um, an hour away from my house and I didn't have any of my stuff with me. And so I figured if, if my water broke and I did go quick, then my husband wasn't there and I didn't have any of my stuff. So I just went ahead and went home. I told her, don't, don't break my water or anything. And, and she, she kind of laughed and said, well, having a baby at home is not that big of a deal. So if you don't make it back, it's okay. And so I, I, I said, no, well, you know, I, I don't really, I don't really want to do that. And um, I don't have anything at home to have a baby with. So um, I went home and I tested. And I said, you know, like I said, I, I put, had another appointment coming up and I figured I could just relax over the weekend. And I took a nap and uh, I actually woke up from the nap having some contractions. And so I, I was excited. I called my husband, told him to come home from work and we're ready to go. And so I texted the doula and um, she said, just kind of wait, you know, try to have, you know, have your contractions and, and relax and don't don't get too excited. And so a couple hours later, I had had um, quite a few pretty strong contractions. Uh, they were consistently five minutes apart, and I was starting to have trouble breathing through them. They weren't crazy, but it, they were the strongest ones that I had ever had. And so um, we went to the hospital. I think it was around four o'clock p.m. And um, we got there, we went to triage and um, the nurse, bless her heart, I know that you're a nurse. I love nurses to death. I think that they are amazing people. But um, I, when I was in triage, my specific nurse just started asking a lot of questions that I don't think I was mentally prepared to answer. Um, she, she asked me, she, well, at first she said, how many kids do you have? I said, I already have two kids. And she said, okay, did you have, you know, vaginal easy deliveries with those? She was just kind of like normal talk to her. But I said, oh, I, I actually had two C-sections. And so she said, well, when is your scheduled C-section for this one? I said, I don't have a scheduled C-section. I'm, I'm going to have a VBAC trial of labor, you know? And she said, no, not here, you're not. And I, I just kind of started like, like sweating and, and getting very anxious about it. And I said, yes, I, my, my midwife knows, the doctors know, everyone knows that, that what's going on. 
and my doula wasn't there yet. And so um, I, I just kind of got really nervous. And so she said, no, I need to talk to them because if you've had C-sections, then, then we need to go ahead and, and prep the OR and get you ready um, to, to have a third C-section. And so right then, because I had the blood pressure cusp on my arm, and right as she, we were talking about that, it, the machine took my blood pressure, and I had had zero blood pressure issues my whole life, none of my pregnancies, no issues. I actually have low blood pressure, but at that time, it took my blood pressure, and it was like in the high 180s over whatever it was it was not good and so then she she said well and you have high blood pressure so we really need to get this going and i just started freaking out i i said no no, no i don't have high blood pressure i'm not having a c-section just turn the lights off and let me listen to music and i just kind of started freaking out over it and i was probably not a very nice person at that time but you know how when you have a plan and you 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 are stuck to your plan and then someone starts to question it and it's like ah, what do I do? So um, my my doula ended up coming in and kind of talking me down from my crazy. And I just started breathing and, and trying to breathe through the contractions and everything. And um, it took my blood pressure again, and it came way down. Um, and so I, I was fine there. But uh, they went ahead and when they, my midwife came in and checked me, I was five centimeters. And so they went ahead and admitted me. And when I got up to the room, I was bouncing on the birth ball and I was pumping to try and get the contractions a little bit closer together and a little bit stronger. And so um, it was about probably 10 o'clock at night, midwife came in and said, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want me to break your water? Do you want Pitocin? What do you want to do? I, I was pretty adamant the whole time, no interventions, but at this point I was still five centimeters. And so I said, um, let's just do the uh, Pitocin. It's not no big deal. I'll just do it slow and, and we'll start there. And so they hooked me up to the IV. I got the Pitocin. I was still adamant about no breaking my water and no epidural. And so the Pitocin, it, it made my contractions a lot closer together and more consistent, but they still weren't painful at all. Like it was still like, I had to breathe through them and everything, but it wasn't, it wasn't like primal crazy. I'm going to have a baby now contractions. And so I, um, a couple hours later, she came back in and said, you know, I'm not trying to pressure you, but, um, do you want to try something else? I was still, I believe I was still six centimeters at that point. And it had only, it had been a couple hours. And so I said, yeah, go ahead and break my water. Go ahead. Um, let, let's do this. Well, she bless her heart. I think she, she's so amazing. Um, she felt where the baby's head was and, um, the, the head wasn't, the chin wasn't tucked. It was kind of back a little bit. And so she said, you know what, let's wait like an hour. Here's a peanut ball. I want you to rotate positions every 10 minutes or so. And um, let's wait a little bit because I want that chin to tuck before I break your water. So that way it applies pressure to the cervix. You don't have um, the cord prolapse or anything. And so very, very amazing with her knowledge. And I, I was actually kind of angry at that because I'm like, you wanted to break my water this whole time. And now all of a sudden, when I want you to break my water, you don't want to break my water. And, you know, I hadn't slept for a little while and I was just, it was the middle of the night. 
And so um, she, we ended up waiting about an hour and then finally she came in and broke my water and holy cow, the contractions with the Pitocin were like a million times worse once my water broke. I don't know if that is normal. I don't know because I had not experienced that before, but um, it was, it was very, it was a very big change as far as the um, severeness or whatever of the contractions. And so I was not ready for that. I guess I'm a big baby because I was just, I, I couldn't take it. I went from, you know, just putting along to all of a sudden I couldn't breathe and I couldn't move. And I, I don't know, I just couldn't take the pain. And so I was, my doula was like, you know, no, don't be ashamed if you have to have an epidural. Like this isn't a contest. You're not trying to win a medal for the most natural birth. You're just trying to get the baby out. And so I, um, I, I finally, because I couldn't, at that point I was seven centimeters and I had tried to labor for a couple of hours with the contractions and I still didn't budge past seven centimeters. And so I, I was so exhausted. I hadn't slept that whole night. And so I finally said, okay, let's, let's do the epidural. Let's just try it. They said, you know, if you do it, you can take a nap and be ready and see what happens. And so I got the epidural, I believe it was about um, nine, nine or 10 in the morning. And I took a nap right away. I was so exhausted. The epidural felt amazing. Took a nap um, from about 10 o'clock in the morning until mm, one o'clock in the afternoon. And when I woke up, Paige, the midwife, she came in and checked me and she said, you're complete. Let's push. And I said, what? And she said, yep, you're 10 centimeters. Let's get a push card in and let's get ready to push this baby out. Baby's in a good position. I see the head. You're ready to go. And so I, I, I was still, I kind of still wasn't really, um, I didn't really think that I would push the baby out. I, I don't know what it was. I still was kind of thinking that for some odd reason, they would find a reason that I needed a C-section. And so I had them turn the epidural off because I wanted to feel pushing. And so they turned it off and I pushed and I pushed and I pushed and I pushed for two hours because I, I don't know, I just, I guess I wasn't really effectively pushing. I don't know. They were all very patient and very helpful. I just, I just don't think I really knew exactly what I was. I don't know. I, I don't think I was pushing correctly, but, um, after almost two hours, um, they, I started crowning, baby started crowning and I saw the head and that was kind of when it, it clicked that, I was going to be able to push it out, but I, I don't know. I was still kind of mental to me. And so I, 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 I was pushing, but he still wasn't making his way out for whatever reason. I couldn't, I just wasn't pushing hard enough or whatever it was. And at that point I was just like, hurry up, just pull him out. Do, you know, do what you have to do. Pull him out with the vacuum or whatever those tools you have. And they're like, no, 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 no. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. And so they said, when he started crowning, they said, okay, three pushes and he's out three pushes. That's all we need from you, three pushes. And so the next round, when it was time to push, I just kind of like bared down and pushed as hard as I possibly could. And in one giant grunt, he flew out, no joke. He flew out and, um, he, uh, he was healthy and perfectly fine. He was, um, 
eight pounds, five ounces. So two pounds bigger than my first that was too big to come out magically. And so, yeah, um, we we're excited. Um, I did, once he did come out, um, the midwife got a little nervous because I started hemorrhaging and they were concerned originally about uterine rupture, not super concerned, but I always knew that a VBAC, there was a concern of uterine rupture risk of it. And so that's what kind of, I thought what was going on, but I wasn't sure because, um, I just kind of started zoning out. I was losing a lot of blood and I, I, I felt safe with them. Like I knew, I knew I was in a hospital with a bunch of doctors. And so I felt safe, but my husband thought, I think that I was on my deathbed. And I, I, I think that it was a lot worse than what I saw. I was just happy to have a baby that I didn't have to get cut out of me. And so, um, the midwife called the doctor in and they just started stitching me. Um, the poor nurse couldn't find, couldn't get a vein because I was shaking so bad. She couldn't get a vein to, um, what is it, methogen? What is the, um, like, blood clot? So, yeah, there's cytotec, methogen, TXA, hemabate, pitocin. Those are kind of like the bundle of postpartum hemorrhage drugs. Honestly, I would assume you probably had all of them. Yeah, they, I know they turned the epidural, I mean, the um, pitocin back on. And I know that they she tried to get IV to add some different medicine because the Pitocin was in my other IV. Yeah. So TXA would be the other IV one. Um, and then they probably, did they give you a shot also? That would have been methogen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The anesthesiologist had to end up coming in to get the, to poke me in the IV because like I said, the coroner, she was trying, she was there the whole time, the whole delivery. She was amazing, but I was just shaking so bad. And I think she was a little bit nervous too, because all of this blood that was coming out and they didn't know why. And so once the anesthesiologist came in and he got the IV going and they started just stitching, they started from the inside and just started stitching and stitching and stitching and 20 something stitches later. Um, what, what had happened, I guess, was I, instead of, you know, pushing out his head and then the next time pushing out the shoulders and then pushing them the rest of out, I didn't have time to really stretch out. And so since it was technically my first birth, birth, vaginal birth, um, I don't think my, my, my vagina was ready for that, all of that at one time. And so when I pushed him out, he basically like scraped my whole inner, area and um i did have a um third degree tear that um they ended up stitching up but even through all of that they like i said i I knew that i was in good hands the whole time i didn't really question what they were doing um i didn't get to do i held him right when he came out but then kind of when i started feeling like i was going to pass out and all the action they took him away obviously which was fine with me um but yeah I even after all of that um I I was still so elated and excited that um I was able to have a vaginal birth after two c-sections because I know that it's it's pretty rare number one that people even attempt it and number two that they're allowed to even find a provider that is willing to support them and so um I, with number four, I have the same plan. It's a little bit less scary this time because 
um, I have had one birth. And so um, the midwife is like, okay, let's not do that next time. Let's do it a little bit differently. But um, at all my appointments, they always say, okay, let's not do the crazy birth again. Let's, let's do it. You know, let's try it a little bit differently this time, but they're awesome. Um, I have awesome support system and um, yeah, I, 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 it was almost like after number three, I couldn't wait to get pregnant with number four, which he's, it, there's like a, a, there'll be like a two year difference between them. But I was just like, if you ask my husband, I was ready for number four, like when he was two months old, <laughs> as soon as we could get pregnant again, I was ready. But, um, obviously we waited a little bit, but yeah, that was our number three. Um, our little Lee, he's, uh, he's 21 months old now. So um, they're all going to, they're all about two years apart. Yeah. That's awesome. And I'm so, ha- I'm so happy that you got that V back. Cause like you said, I mean, first of all, it's rare that people even want a V back. Most women, like, like you kind of said, they just are like, Oh yeah. Like once a C-section, always a C-section. And a lot of people don't know about V backs. They don't even know that it's an option. A lot of doctors won't even tell them it's an option because sometimes, you know, a doctor's not comfortable with a back, so they don't bring it up and they don't even let their patients know it's an option. So to have a V-back after two C-sections, that's incredible. That really is awesome. And I'm so glad that you got that birth that you just wanted so bad. Yeah. And I, I know that it is kind of a, I don't know, I call it a high maintenance birth because you do have to have the doctor or midwife or whoever there kind of all the time and checking Pitocin and checking this and checking that and, and making sure. And I know, I understand that a lot of doctors just don't want that um, risk or that, um, you know, having to babysit the whole time of the delivery. So I get it, but, um, you know, a lot of times you can't find a real reason why a lot of times they just say they come up with things like it's unsafe and you will have a uterine rupture and your uterus is paper thin after a C-section or, um, you know, they just start coming up with a lot of different, um, reasons why. And, that's one thing I, f- I feel like I have been trying to advocate for um, is just just inform yourself, research and inform yourself. So that way, when you are told something from a medical professional, you can be informed enough to understand what they're saying and just make a decision for yourself if that's um, if if that's a professional that is supporting you or you know because i understand that medical issues do come up and obviously you need to listen to the doctor and not just magically ride your unicorn over the rainbow and come up with your magical birth that you know could be dangerous but at the same time it's good to understand like with my first birth and um, you know i was not informed i was not um educated to where you know i, I feel like that could have gone a little bit differently yeah i I mean, that's exactly why I started my podcast. People always ask me like, why'd you start your podcast? And it's exactly what you just said. It's almost honestly, like how you were during your first birth. Like you didn't know what was happening. You just kind of had to trust the doctors because you didn't educate yourself prior. And that's exactly why I made this podcast. So women can educate themselves and can advocate for themselves. And like you said, I mean, it's, it's being able to trust your provider and know that they're on your side and also being able not to have like an unrealistic expectation, but just being educated, knowing if you're going to choose to do something a certain way, knowing the risks and the benefits yourself that you've done your own research, because even when it comes to VBAC, I don't know what the risk of uterine rupture is after two C-sections, but I know that the risk of having a uterine rupture after one C-section is less than 1%. So I mean, that's something you got, you got to, you have to educate yourself on because the doctor might scare you and just say like, no, it's too high of a risk for uterine rupture. But if you really look into it, it's really not. 
Yeah, it's less than 1% um, for one uh, C-section and for two C-sections, it's very similar. The risk does not significantly change. Right. And that's why it is so important to do your own research because you might not get told that if you are attempting a VBAC. I'm sure none of your doctors, you know, told you, yeah, well, it's less than 1%. You're good to go. Oh no. Uh, the, I mean, when I was researching it before we moved, when we were in California, I, I could not find, I met with multiple doctors and they, they came up. I mean, it was everything from the way I was stitched up from my last C-section. It was a um, single layer suture instead of a double layer suture. So that would mean that you cannot have a VBAC. It's not safe. They would come up with, Oh, you didn't dilate with your second um, so you'll never dilate. So your, your cervix is unfavorable. So you'll, you know, it's not safe or this or that. It, it was just a lot of things that at that point, I, I just kept like digging for anybody. Cause I knew I had, I knew that some doctors do it from listening to podcasts and list, reading books and stuff. I knew that it wasn't medically impossible. And I knew that it wasn't medically a death wish, which, you know, that a lot of them make you think that it is. And, um, you know, I just think it's so important to research anything and everything related to birth, even from postpartum, like um, the erythromycin eye ointment or, you know, just anything that's so like, so common that everyone does and you do it because you are supposed to do it because that's what they say to do. It's, it's like, just, just ask yourself why and find out why, what is the purpose of this? Is it something that has to happen or is it something that, um, it's just nice to happen, you know? So I, I think that that's so important for women and I appreciate you having podcasts and, and hearing everyone's birth stories. And it's so nice to, um, hear other women's stories because everyone, every, every birth is so different. We all go through the same, you know, not the same pregnancy, but we're all pregnant. And then you would think that births would be somewhat similar and they're all so completely different. So I think that's why it's nice to hear everyone else's stories too. With this next pregnancy, are you planning, I know you said kind of like the same thing, but not minus, you know, no hemorrhaging minus a little bit of craziness that you had. Are you planning unmedicated epidural? Do you have a plan or are you just kind of going to see what happens? Okay. So every single one of my, um, visits with the midwives, um, I kind of go over it with them. Like, I don't know what it is. I just, I just, I just want to have a, a plan. And I know that this birth could be totally different, but I, my, my plan is to number one, not totally ax out interventions and not be so hard headed basically and stubborn because they know, they know what they're doing. They're not just going to break my water just so I, they can go home sooner, you know? So I think I do have so much more trust in them and my body to do what it needs to do. So my, my goal is to have an all natural birth again, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm just, I just want to go in open-minded now that I've done it once. I just want to go in and be willing to be open to suggestions. Um, and, and since my water didn't break on its own this last time, 
I, I want to be open to having it broken, obviously, and not just be so so stubborn about it. But um, when I talk to the midwives, I, I talk to them about, you know, I said, what is the best order of things? Because the last time I had got the Pitocin and then my water wasn't broke. So when my water did break, all of a sudden it was crazy. And then it took a long time to figure out I wanted an epidural. I said, should I just get an epidural first and have it there? And then that way when things get crazy, I have it. And they said, no, 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 it doesn't work out that way. You can't just have an epidural and not have medicine in it to where, you know, once you get an epidural, you have an epidural. You can't just kind of wait for it to come into play, you know? So, um, I, I, my, my plan is, is to be open-minded, but at the same time, um, I, I, I guess I would be wanting to get things done a little bit quicker and, and let them like if they want to break my water let's break my water you know what you're doing let's do it you know but um I would I, I've always just wanted to have a natural birth <laughs> just all natural I mean even if it's in the car on the way to the hospital no just kidding but uh <laughs> I I just I don't know I've always wanted to do that so I guess that will be the goal is to go all natural this time um but but not but not be against other things I guess well, you know, second babies, especially second, like vaginal babies, they do come quicker most of the time. So, you know, you I've might heard have it that. in the car. You never know. I've, <laughs> it heard happens. That. I've heard that. And I tell my husband, I'm like, would it be so bad if we just had, had the baby at home or had it on the side of the road? And he's like, no, no, no. I, cause he, you know, he, he watched me hemorrhaging and he watched all the doctors rushing and all this. And he's like, no, 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 you need to be at a hospital. You need to do this or that. And so, um, yeah, I, I've heard that the second one and, and further ones, they, they come a lot quicker. And so I'm, I'm interested to see, like, I'm, I'm so excited to give birth. I don't know if that's weird or not, but I'm so excited to give birth for this one. I'm, I'm interested to see how long it takes and kind of what route this baby goes. We still don't know if it's a boy or a girl. We're not going to find out again. We like the surprise yeah. of it, but um, I am interested because my first was six pounds, nine ounces. Second was seven, three third was eight five so I'm like could this baby be nine pounds I oh know. no <laughs> so we'll when are see. you due I'm due June 2nd okay yeah right. so I still have time I've I've been trying to um embrace it because we my husband says this is our last one I'm not quite um persuaded that easily but um uh, I'm trying to enjoy this pregnancy just in case it is our last one <laughs> That's awesome. So tell me just the last kind of little thing that I like to have people do your top tips or like bits of advice for new moms or soon to be moms. I would say the number one tip or a bit of advice would be to um, research, research, research to where you, every decision you make or every decision that is presented to you, you are well informed of it. Um, I was once told use your brain and I'll probably mess this up, but B-R-A-I-N-B stands for benefits. Like if they present something to you, ask what are the benefits of this um, situation or this intervention? Um, R is for risks. Are there any risks associated with it? A is for, I knew I would mess it up. Um, I don't remember a I is for intuition. Like what does your gut tell you to do? 
and in is for nothing. Like what happens if we do nothing? What happens if we don't break my water? What happens if I don't get Pitocin? What happens if we don't do the C-section right now? And so um, just kind of be prepared to make informed decisions to where um, you realize that your, your medical provider is the, the smartest person in the room, but it's also your body and your baby. And you, um, you do have choices that you are allowed to make in birth from the nurse to, you know, the delivery part of it. And so, yeah, so tip number one, advice number one is just research, read books, listen to podcasts, um, and be ready for any type of birth um, and, and advocate for yourself. And um, the other tip for, I would say, new moms is um, don't be afraid to ask for help. I know that I was very adamant on, especially after the first one, like we kind of wanted our own family time and our own, uh, we couldn't wait to get home from the hospital and just, just learn about what it was to be a family. And so I, I refused to ask for any type of help from, and my parents lived a mile away. My husband's parents lived a mile away, um, but I didn't want any help. I wanted to do everything by myself. And, and, and my, my son was actually, um, he, when, when they sent us home from the hospital, they gave us a sheet on how much to feed the baby up to the first week. So like day one, the baby's stomach is the size of a cherry. Give it you know, a couple drops of this much milk. And I was breastfeeding and everything, but um, he wouldn't latch very well. And so that paper ended on week one and it got up to like one or two ounces of feeding, whatever it was. And so then I just kept feeding him that um, week two and week three, and he wasn't gaining any weight. And my mom, I remember her saying, you know, I think he's hungry because he wouldn't sleep. He wouldn't sleep. He cried all the time. And I thought that he was colicky. I wasn't sure. And my, and my mom and I had other people say, you know, I think those are signs of him being hungry. No, no, I've got this. I know how much to feed my baby. I know I just fed him, blah, 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 blah. And so um, I was pumping, exclusively pumping and feeding him. And, and so at the one month appointment, the doctor is like, oh no, he can have however much it was now. And it was like double what I had been giving him. And so I felt terrible about that, obviously, but I just don't be afraid to ask for help and, and don't be afraid to say no, thank you. But I think that was what caused me my first baby for me to kind of get the blues and kind of go downhill as I felt like I was a failure as a mom. Like I felt like I couldn't just figure it out. And here I was like basically starving him to death because I was not to death, but I, I was too stubborn to take advice from my own mom. And, um, and yeah, so I, I think, I know that some, some people can, offer too much help and, and be annoying, but um, don't don't be afraid to get help, even if it's just for a nap or a meal or what. Um, I think that that's a huge difference in um, the postpartum recovery and, and not getting the blues quite so bad. But um, yeah, that's definitely, especially first time moms. I think after the, the first, you kind of slowly figure out this thing called motherhood, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think those are both really great little bits of advice and tips. Do you have anything else to share or to add? Um, no, I appreciate you having me on Jennifer. It's been nice talking to you. And I love, um, I just love why you do the podcast and, and, and that you talk to women and it's kind of, it's, it's nice to kind of go 
go back and, you know, I, I really haven't thought about my first two births since I had number three. And so it was kind of nice to refresh my memory. So I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. I appreciate you coming on the podcast and being willing to share. And it's exactly why I have this podcast. I love hearing from other women and I know it's, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's nice to kind of be able to go back and to relive through those. And just to tell your story because everybody's birth is so unique and it's just fun listening to other people's stories. And it's a, it's a great way to even educate yourself just by listening to other people's birth stories. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely have to have you back after you have this next he or she next baby surprise. I don't know how you wait. (laughs) I applaud you for waiting. You waited on all, all of them, right? Yeah, it's actually nice because your first baby shower, you don't get all pink clothes or all blue clothes. You get like the stroller and you get the car seat and the poppy. That's that's smart. That's strategic. (laughs) Yeah, but maybe I'll just find out and not tell everybody. You'll you'll accidentally spill it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your birth stories with us. And seriously, like I said, we will definitely have you back after you have this baby and you can tell us all about your fourth birth. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of What the Bump. Make sure you follow us over on Instagram at What the Bump Podcast. Leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and make sure you tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. There is a new episode. I really appreciate you for listening. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only and I hope you have a great day.